0: This podcast is brought to you by the Dunfield Retirement Residence, a casually elegant retirement community located at Young and Eglinton in the heart of Midtown Toronto. Customized living options complement your independent, active lifestyle. Learn more at thedunfield.com.
1: How much vitriol? Do we have to see of
0: honk honk, which is an acronym for Hail Hitler, do we need to see by these protesters on social media? Can you tell what that sound is and what big political story it reminds you of? It's one of the clues in our first ever CJN Daily year-end political quiz. And we've invited some political insiders from the major parties to come together here, take the quiz, and then discuss the big stories that impacted Canada in 2022. And they'll make their predictions about what next year might look like. We've been working hard on this quiz to make it fun for them and for you, but also to get into the hard topics and discuss some issues that have polarized Canadians, including the Jewish community. There are going to be some hot takes and a chance for you to play along And so this truly is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Wednesday, December the 14th, 2022. I'm Ellen Besner. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. And so let's get to it. We'll introduce our panelists, although you probably know their names already because they've been in the CJN many times. Joining me now on the CJN Daily from Montreal... David Birnbaum, former Liberal member of the Quebec National Assembly. Emma Cunningham, just east of Toronto. She's a former NDP riding president in Ontario for Pickering-Uxbridge, and she quit over anti-Semitism in her party. Now she's the newly elected trustee with the Durham District School Board. And Stephen Adler, a former conservative strategist and Jewish community insider, and now with National Public Relations. All three of you have been featured in our papers before, so it's great to have you all together. Hello. Hello. Good morning. All right. I also want to bring in, of course, Zachary Kaufman, our producer of the CJN Daily, who will be here being our quiz master and keeping us on time. Hi, Zach.
2: Hello. Nice to meet everyone.
0: And audience, if you want to play along with the news quiz and test yourselves, that's perfect. So, David, we should just quick, before we get into the quiz, you stepped down in the election this past summer after eight years as an MNA. What are you doing now?
3: I'm uh, adjusting to a new life. Uh, It's... uh exciting and uh, at the same time, uh, not the easiest of transitions because uh, uh, life in elected politics is intense. It's rewarding. It's frustrating, but it's uh, it's a life lived at a very high level. So I'm I'm gradually decompressing, doing some teaching at McGill and uh, studying to be a volunteer in palliative care and on the board of a couple of community organizations.
0: Thanks for that. And let's move on to the Quiz, our inaugural CJN Daily Political Panel Quiz, where we test in the know people about how well they've been following what we've been covering, but also what's been in the news. So I'm going to just read the rules and I'm going to welcome Zach in to be Quizmaster. You have to identify what the story is. You don't have to be specific about when it was played or, you know, the dates or what have you, just in general. The first one to ring your bell or make your noise or yell can go first with the answer. And then Zach will be keeping track of all of your responses and we'll tally them up at the end to see who is the champion. You get one point per sound. Welcome, Zach. Take it away.
2: Okay. Thanks very much and welcome to our contestants. Before we jump in, we've asked you all to bring in a noisemaker to buzz in. Let's make sure those buzzers are working and we know who's who. David? Ah, what a lovely bird. Next up, Steve, what do you have for us? Stephen Adler shaking it up as always. And Emma Cunningham. Ah, the old glass and fork, a classic. All right then, without further ado, buzz in when you're ready. Here is your first clip.
3: I was disgusted by the vile and reprehensible comments made by the filled with anti-Semitism, racism, and xenophobia, and we strongly condemn them. Funding for the centre has been cut off and the programme suspended. Not good enough for the opposition. The minister uh, needs to, I, I think, come come clean on what vetting process is being put into place, what oversight strategy is being put into place.
2: Ding, ding, ding. I think, <laughs> ding, ding, I think yeah. Emma, Emma might have been first.
1: Uh, I believe this is the issue where the government, the federal government, hired an anti-racism consultant who has in the past posted some horrendous anti-Semitic things um, that were just disgusting. And I believe that the government was actually warned before they, they pulled him and pulled the funding. Um, but yes, they did not do their due diligence into who they hired or they did and they didn't care. One of the two. Zach, is that a full answer
0: for one full point? I think that's great. That's one full point. Yeah, but we need the name.
4: Yeah, Maruf is is the gentleman's name.
0: Yes. I think Steve Ah. gets half a point.
2: What do you think? Okay, definitely. A half point to Steve is hereby awarded. Next one.
4: Uh, The trucker's convoy, uh, the trucker convoy about uh, the lockdown and restrictions. That was the easiest one. Can I
1: add on to that? One of the reasons that That impacted Jews was that there was a number of swastika flags being flown at that event.
0: I think Emma gets half a point, too.
2: Sounds fair to me. Next one. So it's tied now. Third one.
3: French will always be vulnerable in North America. So it's my duty. It's my responsibility to to, to protect and promote French in
2: Quebec. I
3: think think David was first there. That is uh, Premier Francois Legault speaking about uh, the infamous Bill 96, which he got wrong in very many ways and which had a deep impact and will have a deep impact on English-speaking Quebecers and the predominantly uh, 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 English-speaking proportion of our Jewish community as well. Sorry. Sorry.
0: <laughs> Your bird is still talking.
3: <laughs> He's angry about the bill, too.
0: He's angry birds. That's right. <laughs> there we go.
2: Okay. Number four.
1: Madam Speaker, the law is necessary as the number of Holocaust survivors. Eyewitnesses to the events, decline. And it recedes into history and it gets further and further away and as these views are becoming more mainstream and they creep into popular culture the law will be able to avoid the problem of proving the holocaust in court before those who deny it are held to account members should be aware that this proposal has found its way into the budget
4: i'll make a guess i i think it's melissa lanson speaking i could be wrong with that and i believe it's uh holocaust education Um, being part of the budget with more funding to going towards specific Holocaust education as compared to the government supporting the IHRA, but I could be way off here.
1: I have no idea. Uh,
3: I I would guess that it's uh, INRA, but that wouldn't be a law, so it would would have, in various legislatures, been adopted as a motion, but uh, that would be my guess, the... uh, International Holocaust Declaration.
0: So the Canadian government was asked in April on Yom HaShoah, a private member uh, from Saskatchewan, from the Conservative Party, introduced a bill to outlaw Holocaust denial by changing the criminal code, Section 319, to outlaw it. Then the Liberals co-opted that, took it word for word, and put it in the budget of April 2022, which was now adopted. And so now Canada has joined many countries in the world, not the United States, outlawing Holocaust denial. So that was a big story. I don't think many people cared about it. We'll move on. So I think Steve gets a quarter of a point. That was definitely Melissa Lansman standing up in the House Commons during the debate.
2: Sounds fair to me. Here's your second to last clip.
3: You start hearing bomb explosions, severe explosions. Justin, can you imagine hearing you, your children hear all these severe explosions, bombing of airport, bombing of Ottawa airport? I believe that's uh, Volodymyr Zelensky, uh, the president of Ukraine, addressing the House of Commons on the war in the Ukraine. That's correct.
2: Okay, now everyone, I'm going to play the final clip.
1: Health Canada has taken what it calls an exceptional step by waiving certain labeling rules in order to import... It's a a rate of
2: fall for pediatric ICUs
4: to be pushed to their limits. But with the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario at over 200% capacity, in Toronto's overwhelmed sick kids' hospital cancelling surgeries. Yeah, so there are many parts of that story, but one of them is the childhood Tylenol Advil uh, medicine shortage, which is leading to the increased um, uh, use of uh, pediatric ERs across Canada, um, something that has impacted my family directly because you can't get the Advil or the Tylenol or the Motrin.
0: That was great. Zach, those were great great. clips. Thank you so much. Those were really good. Some were hard.
2: My pleasure. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. So now you have to go away and do your judging. I think I remember who won, but if you can count up the tally voices, we'll let our listeners know at the end of the show. I've asked you to talk a bit more in depth now in this next segment about some of these issues and, and others that were important to Canadians. You brought your own lists with you, did you not, of your top uh, three stories? Were any of those that you all secretly kept and haven't shared on those quiz lists that we just heard?
3: Two, two of my four, I right? uh, but surprisingly, the, the the two that I think I might have put at the top were not there. The two of my four that were there were health care and all of its manifestations, and particularly the, the context of the, the pandemic. Uh, the other one uh, we touched on in Bill 96, and that's the a uh, whole uh, phenomenon of individual uh, human rights versus collective rights and so on, uh, an notwithstanding clause. And I'm sure a package of issues we'll talk about. Uh, nothing really came up there, I don't think, about uh, inflation nor about climate change, uh, which to me uh, would be very much on the radar this year that's coming to an end and surely in the next one as well.
1: Climate change was on my list as well, for sure. I thought yeah. another one that might be interesting to discuss is is IRA, something that nobody wants to discuss. But it's even if we keep our own opinions to ourselves, just the impact that the existence of the discussion alone can lead to so much anti-Semitism, no matter which side you fall out on. On my
4: list, uh, in addition to what we've talked about, were some seismic shifts in the elections that we saw. Uh, Overwhelming majorities for Doug Ford and Premier Legault where a year ago, it might have been questionable I did not see in January 1 Jason Kenney not being the premier and not being a member of the Legislative Assembly of Alberta in December of 2022. So uh, it's all the political uh, ramifications of this year.
0: I, I wanted to talk about Bill 96 and the use of the Notwithstanding Clause and the fact that some people are saying that Canada is in a constitutional crisis at the moment, or should be, because of the various sort of center-right and right-wing political premiers who are using the notwithstanding clause uh, to get bills through that are super controversial. And so let's let's open that uh, discussion now, uh, David. You correctly, of course, I knew you would get it. If you didn't, I'd fire you from the show. <laughs> Talk about who, who was the and Bill ninety six. But in terms of the fallout from that,
3: first of all, uh, the, the answer is no. It will not. It will not be overturned. Uh, the use of the notwithstanding clause by the premier on this bill, and in a preemptive fashion, is deeply, dip, deeply concerning. And there might be aspects of that uh, uh, that are successfully challenged in the courts. Will the legislation in itself be struck down? I would be deeply, deeply surprised. And what's so difficult in these issues, and I've got a lot of bruises to show for it, is that there are shades of gray. Um, If any people should understand the absolutely deep preoccupation in French Quebec shared by every single French Quebecer to protect and promote their language, it should be us. Uh, we've been a minority everywhere we are in the world, except for for Israel. And we know how important identity and language is to a people. Um, and what I'm getting at is there are shades of gray here. This is a very bad bill, and it needlessly panders to politics and treats our English-speaking Quebecers as scapegoats when the challenges to the French language in Quebec, this only corner of North America that where it's a majority language, are real, but they don't come from us. So is there a continuing and frustrating framing of this language issue in Quebec in a way that hurts us? Yes, there is. Is the phenomenon of Quebec and Quebecers wanting to protect their language an important and real one? That yes is often misunderstood and neglected by our Jewish community and other English-speaking minorities in Quebec. That is true too. The bottom line is that the law was is a vast overreach and is uh, 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 unnecessarily targets minorities. Uh, the consequence uh, that's wider reaching for all Canadians and that uh, uh, has seen uh, uh, use elsewhere is the employment of the notwithstanding clause as a sledgehammer when it's a tool that many of us don't like but a a legal and legitimate tool that should be of last resort. This was hardly last resort, it was unnecessary in Quebec. Uh, David is much more well-versed about the intricacies
4: of of Bill 96, but with the use of the notwithstanding clause, while it's being used as a sledgehammer, it is not an illegal action. And I think we have to be very careful when we say elected governments are illegally using a, a tool. I reread the documents when in Ontario the Notwithstanding Clause was first rumored to being used. It doesn't say you can use it for this but not for that. It is a tool given to the legislatures from coast to coast to coast to use. That being said, I think we're seeing across Canada. The threat is being implemented, whereas for generations, premiers said, if you don't do this, I may use the notwithstanding clause. Now they're adding it into legislation um, to maybe take out or repeal.
0: Emma, did you want to weigh in on this at all? Because Doug Ford did use it to yeah. block the labor dispute with the CUPE workers in the education system.
1: I do agree that it is perfectly legal for them to do so. It is concerning for them to do it proactively because it means that they know that they would lose in court had they put this forward. So they know that what they're trying to pass is illegal. That part is illegal. And so they've gone and done something to make something illegal legal. And I find that very concerning. And I I think the notwithstanding clause is it's a sledgehammer. And it should be used extremely sparingly because in general, politicians should not want to pass illegal things and it shouldn't be used to get any obstacle out of your way. Um, you have, in most cases, it's being passed by majority governments, you know, uh, circumventing the law because you don't like it rather than going through the process of changing a law. Um, to me, that's, that's a problem. And, you know, labor rights are there for a reason, and I'm not in a union myself. Uh, but I know that I had maternity leave twice. I know that I have weekends. I know that I'm not expected to work 12 hours around the clock. And to me, when the notwithstanding clause is brought in, and it wasn't just brought in to to shut down that one labor that one union, it was shut down to block unions and negotiating period. That's a problem. Because unions have gotten rights for all of us. And I just I keep asking myself if they're going to pull the notwithstanding clause up because they don't like how a negotiation with the labor union is going. What's the next thing, the next fundamental right or freedom? Because that is what the notwithstanding clause is designed to do. It is to trample over a fundamental right or freedom. And if they are willing to do this, what right or freedom are they going to come after next?
3: Well, that's right. And I mean, the the original uh, drafting of the of the charter that got us our own constitution uh, made this compromise and we wouldn't have that charter without it. Uh, It's not a compromise that I personally like. But there was a signal in it, which is the sunset clause. You have to renew this every five years. So that uh, has some kind of jurisprudential weight, if you like, suggesting that governments are supposed to think extremely seriously before they employ this and before they freeze out one key pillar of our democracy, which is the judicial system. So there is that signal there. Um, and actually, I think what worries me is that the use of this clause in increasingly non-necessary ways is, seems to be, in my view, a part of a a, a, a greater collective expediency about how we do things and fed by social media as well. But the notion that everything is sort of relative and that rule of law is not a deeply fundamental and difficult anchor that we must respect without exception. Otherwise, where is the baseline and where is the level of sort of agreed upon morality and legality within which government should operate. So it's a dangerous, slippery slope. And I'm not sure how we we level out that slope. We've seen the rhetoric become so
4: polarizing on every issue. I mean, over the last 10 years, and it's not a right, it's not a center, it's not a left, it's across the board, we're seeing the polarizing rhetoric. and. It's unfortunate that we're talking about the use of the notwithstanding clause, but part of me thinks that it was the next logical step for premiers to, con- to consider using because they say blue and, and the opposition uh, says white and they don't meet anywhere in the middle. And that's really the big thing. We talk at each other. We don't talk to each other in our legislatures. Um, and so... Uh, I I hope that the the use of the notwithstanding clause will be reined in, but more importantly, the divisive rhetoric will be reined in so that we can actually get things done in our elected officials across Canada.
1: Yeah, I just had a session that I, you know, orientation for trustee training. And one of the things that we, we covered, and again, not speaking on behalf of the board, but one thing that we covered was... You have to be so careful about making decisions when you're not in the room because you're supposed to be coming into that room with an open mind, willing to hear out your colleagues, willing to come to the table and collaborate, and it should happen in that room. But what I see in legislatures is question period turns into a whole session and how not to answer a question. And all politicians on all sides of the fence, no matter what color they come from, no matter what party, no matter what stripe, they they come back with political lines rather than actually answering a question and getting into any substantive conversation. So I 100 percent agree with what Stephen just said. Um, The legislature is not doing what it's supposed to anymore.
0: But we should talk about how this played out in one of the other big stories, the Hong Kong tape that you were listening to, which is the Freedom Convoy, because... Uh, That divided the country and divided Jewish community members as well, divided families on mandates and and what choices they have. How did you experience that? Uh, Let's start with Emma since she started last.
1: I tend to disagree with almost everyone in my life about this. And I say, you know, the left should learn from the right. Protests and changing things don't happen when you politely stand in front of Queen's Park for an hour with your signs and then politely go away at the end of this. Real change happens when people get together and go all out. And I talked about maternity leave, that's because the postal service went all out. Um, You know, in Ontario, there was talk of a Labour general strike and that wasn't going to be politely standing outside Queen's Park for an hour with signs that was going to be full on removing services because something is unacceptable to that public. And so they're willing to put themselves on the line for it. So do I agree with the single thing that the convoy stood for? Absolutely not. But I support the right of people to do protests, whether it's that, whether it's indigenous people, blockades, shutting down, shutting down trains, because that is the kind of protest that has an impact.
3: I, I think we, we, we forget uh, part of the roots of this kind of protest, which are, sure, they tap into a general and uh, a widespread sense of anger and, uh, and disempowerment uh, that we should all worry about. But they're anything but democratic. This demonstration, and maybe I'll sound like a conspiracy theorist, but is the work of a, a, an endlessly funded, exclusive club of deeply radical and misguided uh, rich white men in the United States, who have financed the kind of social media that allows people to hear messages that messages that resonate and amplify. Their own sense of insecurity and disempowerment. And you get what looks like a democratic movement, but is nothing but. So, to me, again, you have some, some uh, deep seated concerns that are, that are based on a concentration in some ways of, 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 of power, on a, a widening, widening gap between the rich and the poor in, in, in the states to the south of us um, that had so much to do with what happened in Ottawa. Uh, so much more to do than with uh, uh, the phenomenon on the ground in Ottawa, in my view.
1: Yeah, and you're not wrong, but we just came off a conversation talking about the breakdown of democracy in the legislature. If if governments aren't willing to listen to the opposition, they're not willing to listen to the people standing outside with, with signs. And I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the convoy, the convoy got what they wanted. Restrictions came down almost immediately, and government talked about how they didn't cave, but but they did.
0: There is an emergencies inquiry now going on. The report will come out whether the emergencies act was brought in in, in erroneously or was it justified. Do you think, Stephen, that the Trudeau government made a mistake by not dealing with the truckers and refusing to deal with them? I think
4: there's two different issues at play right now. I think the issue number one is the entire response to COVID was one of the worst communications failures I have ever seen top down and it led to frustration of everybody not understanding the rules, having different rules at different times. Um, It was just a communications failure. And so I think we can't lose sight of the fact that we had elected officials, we had senior bureaucrats, whether we like them or not is irrelevant to the point I'm making, standing up day after day and saying different things or not saying anything. And that led to a lot of frustration. You know, um, I can't go into a restaurant, but I can go into a place of worship. Trust me, I was happy I could go to shul, but it's still 25 people. What's the difference, so to speak? Um, And so that's that part. As far as the trucker convoy goes, I am not, I have my own opinion whether the police should have been involved and how involved and, and whether the emergency act should have been implemented. My bigger issue is there are five police forces with jurisdictions across Ottawa Hall and a convoy just doesn't show up overnight. Part of being a good crisis manager is anticipating what might happen. And what I saw with the trucker convoy is governments, not just one, all levels of government, police forces, intelligence services, The ball was dropped numerous times, and remember, it wasn't just a trucker convoy in Ottawa. We had it in Windsor with the Ambassador Bridge, with other things. Ellen, answering your question about what I think, I am waiting with bated breath to read the report into the use of the Emergencies Act, because the inquiry is not because David, Emma and I put up our hands and said, we want an inquiry the inquiry is because written into the legislation if you impose the emergencies act within XD calendar days thou will have an inquiry so i actually think the system worked here government implemented a piece of legislation some liked some didn't an inquiry as per the legislation has been conducted and a review will be and a report will be released based on that review
0: you said you were going to tell us what your opinion was. Did Trudeau make a mistake by bringing this in and not talking to the quick yes or no?
4: They all made mistakes. I'm not just blaming the prime minister. I'll blame the, blame the police services, the government, the bureaucrat, the provinces, the mayors. This was a colossal intelligence failure leading to inaction. And when they started to act, it was too late.
0: Emma, was it... Uh, a mistake, yes or no, to bring in the Emergency Act and for Trudeau not to talk to the people. You said that he should have talked to them, but what I'm
1: about waiting the i on Act? the results of the inquiry.
3: No, it wasn't a mistake. Um, and I, w- I would take issue with the remotest suggestion of cause and effect with respect to public policy on, on COVID. I don't see any link, despite this being a front page story for a couple of weeks. Uh, I don't believe it had any influence on public policy. Well, I mean, we have to say that, so. you
0: know, Alberta, Manitoba, Quebec, uh, eventually Ontario lifted restrictions right away, even during Scott Moe and some of these other premiers lifted it right away. Can we move to the last topic? I, I want to bring up, you mentioned IRA. So let's talk about anti-Semitism and uh, how it is for Jews in political Canada. Five provinces in Canada uh, now have passed, or three provinces passed the IRA definition. The city of Vancouver passed it uh, just a couple of weeks ago. The Canadian government's had it in for a while. Uh, Quebec, Ontario, New Brunswick, uh, Manitoba, Alberta have passed it. But as Emma said, it's a toxic topic. The bigger issue is how important is that? And how important is it for the Jewish community for these IRA definitions to be passed by various levels of governments?
3: I don't think it's that important. Uh, Let me give you an example of how we dealt with this in Quebec, where I had conversations with the minister uh, nominally responsible for anti-racism and so on, Benoit Charette, um, and uh, CJ was involved, and uh, the result, uh, with uh, the greatest respect I think is rather meaningless. The government uh, and Benoit Charette himself, with shameless expedience, made some promises and then proceeded to deal with the declaration in a meaningless but uh, uh, superficially visible way. And what he did is, and I'm sure there's a similar parliamentary privilege in every provincial legislature, he used his uh, uh, opening for 60-second declarations with each indiv- with each, which each individual m can do to uh, honor someone who's turned 100, to honor some community group that's done well, to speak about the declaration. So it's not entered into the public record in any meaningful way except in our version of Hansard. And I'll be frank, uh, the Jewish community decided to declare that a victory. I don't think it is. is. Um, we're, we're, you're, you're talking about uh, anti-Semitism being a cancer, but that also has on-the-ground effects with respect to the Uh, psychological and physical well-being of people in our community so actions speak louder and I think we want to focus our fight on anti-semitism on making sure that everybody in our community is safe on making sure there are no objective impediments to employment freedom of expression uh, 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 freedom of assembly and religion for our community and all others And I'm not sure inviting debates that get derailed uh, legitimately and otherwise on uh, a declaration are overly meaningful.
0: Hang on a second. We do have to point out Bill 21. You were mentioning about freedom of expression, which doesn't allow keepas and hijabs. Although I did see an employee giving Francois Legault his needle, his uh, booster or whatever it was, and she was wearing a hijab. He didn't have a problem with that. And it was a big publicity, uh, uh, you know, event.
3: Well, I Emma. went bonkers on Facebook about that because it was a, a shameless bit of public relations from a premier who had adopted a law that is deeply meaningful and and nefarious. Bill twenty one.
0: All right, Emma. Sorry, quickly go ahead.
1: Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say I one hundred percent agree with that. Um, I think I I don't really have a horse in the race where Ira is concerned. I think all three of the major definitions more or less accomplish the same things. My hill to die on, and I've said this again and again and again, is I hate when non-Jews get involved in the definition of anti-Semitism. In no other minority community would someone outside that community be allowed um, by people to be involved in that definition in the way that everyone thinks that they have a right to tell Jews what is harmful. I'm okay with Jews who like IRA. I'm okay with Jews who dislike IRA. They are equally important voices at the table. No one is more or less important than any other voice. Um, I understand that there is a consensus within the community. I am happy to follow that consensus. But if you're not Jewish, get out of the conversation.
0: I want to ask you something, uh, Stephen, to comment on what David brought up. Because when IRA was adopted in um, Alberta, they had a big ceremony. There was a lot of publicity about it. All the Jewish leaders were there. When Manitoba did it, there was no debate. Although people wanted to have a robust discussion and debate in the legislature so that it would be part of the fabric of of, of the legislature and politics. But it was a quick Heather Stephenson. Uh, it, she used her prerogative. It was passed by order and council, So it was kind of the same thing as Quebec. It was a quick and dirty. So from your perspective... How important are these tumbling dominoes that more and more people are putting together IRA definitions? And does it even matter for Canada's Jewish so community? So I think
4: it matters. I think it does. I mean, early in my career, I was fortunate to work with Ted Chudley when we passed the Yom HaShoah bill in Ontario. The, I believe the first jurisdiction outside of Israel to recognize Yom HaShoah. The definitions are important. Action by governments to support us is important but it can't be hollow actions. In the last year, we have had Leith Maruf affair. We've had Joel Hardin. And just a week or so ago, we had a reception on Parliament Hill where representatives of all parties showed up.
0: Talk about what it was. It was for the Palestinian so Day of it, Nakba Day on the, uh, uh, to, to complain that Israel was founded by it, the United it, it Nations. It was, no?
4: but let's, in my opinion, it's not the event it's that an, quote, honored guest who is there is a publisher of a publication that has published violently anti-Semitic rhetoric before. So I'm being careful not to condemn the entire event, I'm condemning some of the people who are there. And so if a government passes a bill an order in council, a resolution, and then goes, Yofi Tofi, I've done it. I don't have to do anything else. We are further behind than we were before that. What I want to see is action based on the principle of what they've passed or agreed to, and that we haven't seen yet. And that's the biggest concern I have for our community, which is the... Now, what are you going to do? Or have, you, or do they feel they've done everything, they being the politicians, so when the next issue arises, but look, I passed this motion.
1: 100% agree. They, they say one thing and turn around and do something else.
4: I mean, remember, we have a, we have a National Holocaust Museum uh, that when the plaque was first unveiled, forgot to mention the word Jewish uh, on the Department of Canadian Heritage wording of the plaque. Um, I am not condemning the minister's office for that. There is a bit of irony there. If it was a one-off, that would be intolerable. Um, It's not a one-off. We've seen similar things throughout from coast to coast to coast.
0: I just want to remind you before we go to our last segment that... In the budget, besides with the Holocaust Denial Bill, they put together $85 million for Jewish Community Centre in Vancouver, Holo- including all in the money was $25 million for Vancouver. They just announced it last week for a new JCC. Two more Holocaust museums got funding, one in Toronto, one in Montreal. The government, do- I'm not an apologist for the government. I'm saying they had an anti-Semitism summit in July of 2021. And they also they give millions of dollars every year to protect synagogues, schools with cameras and what have you under the civil Grants, And I know that in Ontario, uh, Steve, um, the Minister of Education, Stephen Lecce, announced they're going to be making Holocaust education mandatory as early as grade six. So these are things we do have to put out there when we also say, what about
3: this? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I I think we can do better collectively as a community in making sure that the fight against anti-Semitism isn't always about gotcha and fix this. And it's, it's equally often about appealing to what's innate in all of us, which is our goodwill. Nobody wants to say, yeah, you're right, I'm an anti-Semite. If they are, we better call them. I understand. But what about enhancing and amplifying the uh, uh, those measurable moments when we have non-Jewish allies amongst decision-makers across the country? I think we can do better at that. And And you've just pointed to a couple of reasons why we should.
1: Yeah, I'm skating dangerously close to things I shouldn't be talking about on here. But when it comes to things like mandatory anti- um, Holocaust education in schools, am I in favor of that? 100%. My concern is that when the only type of anti-Semitism education that happens in schools or anyone else is the Holocaust, that becomes the bar for what people believe anti-Semitism is. And they fail to recognize everything below that. And in so many communities, we talk about these microaggressions, and that hasn't yet extended to the Jewish community. So many people don't recognize anti-Semitism if it's anything less than genocide. And I think we have to be really careful when there are these Holocaust museum openings, when there are education in classrooms, when there are anything... um, That that's not the only time that we acknowledge anti-Semitism and it's not the only way that we uh, that we cover it. You know, Ajax next door to me, they had um, in in May, they celebrated Jewish Heritage Month. And I think that's fantastic. Talking a bit about the beauty of our culture, not even mentioning the Holocaust. Put that aside. You know, that isn't the only thing that people should come out of school knowing about Jewish people.
0: Good point. We need to wrap up, but it's been fascinating. So I asked you to do some homework. We'll do a quick, quick uh, round with your sheet there of uh, what you think the big issue will be for 2023. David, you want to go first?
3: I think that uh, despite his ego, which uh, will try to get in the way, uh, the prime minister will uh, allow uh, a new leader and us for at least a little while, a new pre- prime minister to, to, to sit uh, by the end of 2023. I think, uh, this is not terribly bold, but uh, uh, that elected leadership will be increasingly called upon and perhaps in decisive ways in 2023 to do something real about climate change. We'll inevitably see a number of natural disasters in the coming 12 months again. Uh, And I I think we're, we're... forgetting how with each four years, not only in the electoral cycle, but in reality, young people become a little older. And climate change is so top of mind for people under 25, if not for the rest of us. So I think climate change will take a, a, a further place, uh, and rightly so, in 2023. Um, there are only, of course, echoes of it, but I think that terribly sad, the uh, Supreme Court decision south of us on Roe v. Wade uh, will continue to play out over the coming year, and that has limited impact, and I hope would continue to have limited impact on, on Canada. But there are populist forces that would like to see it have impact in Canada as well.
0: Who is going to be the new prime minister and the new Liberal leader? You didn't say who it was.
3: Krista uh, Freeland.
0: All
1: right, Emma. I think all of those are absolutely the case. I think climate change for sure is going to be a big conversation. I think we're seeing that creep in at the end of um, this year as the government tries to struggle with the balance between building more housing and keeping Greenland's green. Um, you know all the debates around the green belt. Um, I think Indigenous rights. I think that story is starting to pick up more. People are talking more about reconciliation. You know it's not just about having a land acknowledgement at the beginning of the beginning of a presentation, because how can you have an acknowledgement, Hey, I stole this and not give it back (laughs) or not make any effort to, to do that. And so, you know, we were talking earlier about putting in a definition and then not really having any action. And I think that's starting to be talked about more when it comes to indigenous issues that we're, we're really making um, platitudes and not, not moving forward. Um, And the last thing that I have on my list is unions. I think we've just seen them become in a very strong position at the end of 2022. And I think we're going to continue to see that play out um, across all sectors. I'm not pointing to any sector in particular when it comes time to bargaining. I think they're they're more on edge than ever. And I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a general strike in 2023. Stephen?
2: In addition
4: to what has been
1: said, I actually think we're going to see a major Trudeau cabinet minister resign from
4: cabinet in the House of Commons in the first half of 2023.
0: Wait, 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 okay. who, who, who's going to be? Marco Mendocino or Ahmed Hosen?
4: Or Alcabra? I, I think that, I, I think there are a lot of possible names. It, it could be them. It, it could be Madame Freeland. There are times that you just get burned out or you get a bit tired of what you're doing. And some of them have been in cabinet for a number of years now, and it is draining. So I think we're gonna see that possibly before we see the walk in the snow by, uh, by Prime Minister uh, Trudeau. My second one is, as we continue our post-COVID fiscal recovery, I really think we're gonna see a pan-Canadian agreement on affordability. And I think housing affordability and I don't know if this is going to be the next part, but maybe we'll see a discussion about mortgage length of terms. As an example, in Canada, they're five year mortgages in the U.S., you can get them fixed for 25 or 30. Will there be done something there to try to help with the skyrocketing mortgage rates and, and cost of living? And then my third is we're gonna see a further explosion of populism, but not just on the right. We're gonna see it across the board. It's going to be about climate change. We've had a long-term care crisis in Ontario since at least 1990. It is not a last two years we've had this problem, and we're gonna see, so we're gonna see the populism rise out. And then my fourth one is, the Leafs are gonna win the Stanley Cup in 2023. I say that every year, and um, I'm hopeful this year uh, it will come true.
0: Yes, well, that's why we open the door for Eliyahu every year and hope he comes and he never has. (laughs) Listen, guys, and Emma, it was wonderful to have this discussion, but I've got to end it there. Happy Hanukkah. Thanks so much to Emma Cunningham and to Stephen Adler and to David Birnbaum and to Zach for all the great technical producers.
3: Thank you. That was a pleasure to, to be with all of you.
0: Thank
3: you for having us. It was a lot of fun.
2: Thanks, Ellen and Gabe.
0: So how did you do on the quiz? And can you tell who won? Well, I'm happy to announce that after carefully calculating all the marks, our winner of the CJN Daily's first ever political news quiz is Stephen Adler with National Public Relations. He came in with two and three quarter points. In second place, David Birnbaum with two points and Emma Cunningham just a half point behind him in third place. So congratulations to all of you. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. We hope you did well on the quiz. We don't have an app like Wordle does where you can post your results on Facebook, but you can write to let me know how you did. And don't forget, Wednesday is the last day you can RSVP to the CJN's magazine launch and Hanukkah party being held Thursday night in Toronto. At the Prosserman JCC, doors open at 7 the event starts at 7.30. So come on and meet all your favorite CJN personalities, eat a and be part of our live studio audience as we'll be taping several podcasts, including ours and Bonjour Chai. RSVP to me at eBessner at thecjn.ca. Thanks for listening. The Dunfield Retirement Residence offers customized living options to complement your independent, active lifestyle. Welcome home. Welcome to the Dunfield. Visit us at thedunfield.com to book a personal tour.